You know, I wish I could let Sebi know that even though he lost to Rafa again, he did great. I mean, you can't. What do you mean I can't? Well, I'm at Indian Wells right now, currently watching Bessie Paula, but I'll make sure to say hi to Sebi after. Welcome to Hold On To Your Racket, the podcast for Gen Z tennis fans. We're your hosts, Josefina and Shravya. Shravya and I are so excited to be creating this podcast and sharing our love for tennis with you all. Josefina and I are two high school gals and tennis fanatics united together by our on-the-court and off-the-court companionship. And we're the female Gen Z voices in modern-day tennis you've been looking for, so we hope you enjoy this episode and stay tuned for more. Hello, we are back with another episode of Hold On To Your Racket, and in today's episode, we're going to be talking about our beloved Indian Wells, and um, yeah, actually, we had an especially insider scoop this time, because Shravya was there for three whole days. That's a lot of tennis. Tell me about it. What? It was amazing. I went with my mom. The grounds are beautiful. I mean, nothing beats watching some live tennis, but also just, like, being in that environment. Josephina and I love going to the U.S. Open every year. We went to the City Open together earlier this summer um, and loved that as well. It's just, like, it's it's so fun getting to talk about tennis just, you know, on the podcast and watching it on TV and stuff and social media. But it's so fun to once in a while get out there and go to those tournaments. I mean... If you're able to, Indian Wells, I would highly recommend you go to. I mean, not only is it, like, a huge tournament and, you know, highly, you know, talked about as kind of outside the Grand Slams and just right there, but it's so different from the vibe of, like, any others that I've sort of seen or, like, been to, and it's super friendly. It's not a lot of young people. I will say that. The environment was a little bit uncomfortable at times definitely I will say like being a person of color being a woman being like really young in that area was not always the most comfortable experience I think that's more to do with the area than the tournament obviously but um it was just so awesome like the it's it's also so much easier to get close up and close with the players there um, than perhaps the U.S. Open, and the only and the other thing I would say is like, they really have their vibe nailed down to yeah, a T. Like that. tennis paradise, they deliver. Not only is it so pretty with the desert and the mountains, and you can just take pictures anywhere, but like, they brand it as tennis paradise, and they deliver. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I was living off of the content that you were sending me throughout the week, and. It was just so awesome. Well, all at. that gorgeous stuff you saw on Instagram, sure, I took the photos and took snippets, but, like, Josefina was the one who, like, edited through, picked what she liked, picked what met her standards, like, actually put it together, made it look good. So hats off to her for that. I am not talented in that capacity. <laughs> it's all about the teamwork, man. It's a two-woman job. Exactly. And speaking of women... We want to continue with our Women's Month Spotlight, Um, and this week we're highlighting Oracine Price, who you may have heard of as the mom and coach of Venus and Serena Williams, and I'm happy to say that I finally watched King Richard on the flight back, so I am now 
totally on the same page as Josephina. That movie is awesome. They, I honestly good that I had my mask on in the flight because it kind of soaked up my tears a little bit yeah, at several points too. throughout the movie. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't really want anyone else to notice, so that was good. But it's so good. I know. I'm so happy that you finally watched it because I was just exploding over the fact that I couldn't talk to you about it yet. I know. Well, now I finally have, I will say, the Rick Macy character they portrayed in the movie was kind of good looking in my opinion. I know. It was that... You know, those vibes. <laughs> it was those vibes. Like, he was just, like, a little quirky, a little different from the rest. Actually believed in the two girls. That, what is it? Was so that, that was the 80s, right? Like, that whole style? No. Yeah, probably. 80s, right? But the whole, like, style of the movie, like, the outfits. Yes. Phenomenal. Yes. Yeah. Yes, and when Pete Sampras, well, fake Pete Sampras was there, I actually, the I immediately thought of you because Josephina and I have this thing, like, we've never once seen him play, we don't know what he was like on tour, but we just are Pete Sampras fans, like, yeah. somehow. It's just un- so, like an unspoken, you know, thing that everyone should, it's, yeah. yeah, yeah, yes, exactly, <laughs> but back to our spotlight. Um, yeah, so Orsine Price, uh, you may know her in the most recent years as the woman that is always wearing those iconic shades sitting in Venus or Serena's boxes, or when they play doubles, I guess, both their boxes. Is that how it works, right? Doubles teams get one box. Um, but she played a huge role in the two sisters' tennis training. So yeah, Richard Williams was not the only mastermind. Oracine was there completely too, and like Shravia was saying, the movie is so relevant in this case because it shows that she's the one, if anything, that kept him in line. She was always supporting both of her daughters while supporting all of her other children as well. She's such a queen, definitely. Yeah. And she always, I mean, not only was she, like, an amazing mother, like, really making sure her kids got their full education, um, grew up to be strong women, um, with Venus and Serena also helping with their coaching. Um, She also was working as a nurse uh, to support the family of seven, so that's a lot of grit right there. And I think she's definitely overlooked in more general conversations of how the Williams sisters' story has been told throughout the year. I think this movie tries to change that narrative a bit, really trying to put her... Uh, in the in the forefront as well, but I saw just a couple days ago Monica Sellis said something about how she was like, wasn't Mon- I think she yeah I think she was the one who said this she was like I think you know we need a whole movie for her as well. Yeah, definitely, because there was just something about you know having a strong female figure. I think that's huge for girls growing up, especially two icons like Serena and Venus. So the the um what's it called the role that she played in their lives cannot be overlooked whatsoever and speaking of the movie uh orsine actually spoke about the portrayal of her character in the movie particularly in that um scene where she and richard have that conversation in the kitchen where she essentially confronts richard about um decisions he's been making in relation to venus and serena's lives And she said, her exact quote was, I thought it represented me because the things that she said, it may not have been the exact words, but it represented who I am. I'm crying in the background, but I don't play. I don't mess. 
Don't just think I'm a pushover. I don't like confrontation, but that doesn't mean I'm afraid of it. I try to avoid it. I try to be peaceful, and that's about it. Then I just go on with my life, forgive and forget. And it's so great to know, like, from her that the character in the movie represented her that accurately, and she actually agreed with it, because a lot of the times in movies, especially biographical films, it's so tough to nail the character because they're actual live human beings. It's it's so tough to kind of encompass the entire personality of a person within just two hours, essentially. But mm-hmm. it's so great that they were able to portray what an amazing figure she is because to be the role model of two women that serve as role models for essentially an entire generation of women, that that has to speak for something. For sure, and I'm so glad her story got shed more light in this movie. Um, definitely would agree with Silas that I'd love to see a movie about her as well. But I think that um, it's really, like, I always kind of just saw her as, like, the woman in the sunglasses sitting in their box because I never really knew anything else. But um, definitely she is to be credited for a lot of their success and for the inspiration that these women have provided. Um so that's our Women's History Month Spotlight of the week or of this episode. Um, we really like this series that we're doing. It's, it's nice to get a chance to reflect on that a bit. But now we want to turn over to some hot headlines. And I can't say that all of these are fantastic hot headlines. Um, so we're going to start with the most obvious one, the most recent one. And we're going to try to keep this one short because I think people have had enough of talking about this guy. Uh, but Nick Kyrgios. Uh, he was playing in the quarterfinals at Indian Wells. I don't know. He was a wild card. Um, and he had a very tough match against Rafael Nadal, which Nadal did end up winning, thank goodness. 7-6, uh, 7-0 in the tiebreak, 5-7-6-4. But as can be expected from a curious match, it wasn't smooth sailing. Yeah, so he was... Um... He shouted obscenities throughout the match. He got violations, you know, point penalties throughout the match, not just at one point. And the crowd was also pretty rowdy at times. The chair umpire, uh, Carlos Bernardes, he did such a good job umpiring. And I don't know if you guys saw the video, but there's... Was that this match? There's that iconic video where somebody... I don't know who would scream Nick's name, like, be a super fan of... Like, I would be screaming for Rafa, if anything. But whatever, that's besides the point. But then, <laughs> Carlos said, we have 10,000 people here trying to watch tennis. So can you please stop <laughs> being crazy and let us... No, 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 he something was, like that. He something was, like it, that. It, it, yeah, 10,000 people here trying to watch a tennis match, you're the only one who's screaming like this. It yeah, was, <laughs> it was exactly. Like that. And everyone so started funny. clapping. And I was clapping, and I wasn't even there. I was just watching the video on, like, Instagram. <laughs> anyway, So funny. Yeah, but obviously he had a huge job in this match because he had the crowd being a little rowdy and then also Kyrgios on court acting very not smart stupid yeah 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 i mean after the match there was um this is the kind of the issue that got the most attention he after shaking the hands of rafa and the ump he then threw his racket um seemingly like just like through like on the court but it bounced and nearly hit the ball boy who was standing at the um back 
of the court and then almost went into the crowd. So he almost hit that ball boy, and the ball boy flinched. Oh, my and God, not Kyrgios, the flinching again. Yeah, and Kirio said, quote, it landed a meter from my foot and skidded and nearly hit him. I'm human. Things happen like that. Obviously, it was a very unfor- misfortunate bounce. I think if I did that a million times over, it wouldn't have gone that way. That doesn't mean you should still do it. What? What? Like, I, no, because yeah, the way then, he said it, he's like, I don't regret it bouncing my racket. I just regret where it bounced. Hello, yeah. that's not the point. The, and and just it's and then he started comparing himself to the Zverev situation, saying that this is totally different because this was an accident. Yes, different things. Like I would I would argue, and I think it's you know the Zverev situation was much much worse with what he did in Acapulco. But the fact I saw a great tweet about this, but the fact that that's now the bar. Yeah. Right. Like, like the congratulations. Kind of like let that slide. You didn't attack an umpire. What? Exactly, exactly. Go ahead and be violent in some other way, basically. Um, but the grossest part of this is that then Kyrio seemed to make himself out to be a hero. Yeah, so essentially this was basically a bunch of social media manipulation, you know, kind of using the press and media to cover up bad decisions and moves that he's made before. So basically what he did is that he reached out to the kid that he, the ball kid that he almost hit in order to offer him a racket but he did not do this in private at all he in fact shared every single message they exchanged including the actual video when Kyrgios gave the kid the racket which is weird yeah and i it's just so odd because then he tweeted a picture of the screenshots of the DMs with the caption, made a new friend in the process. Accidents happen, but we can go out of our way to make things better. He's and not going out of his way. I don't get it. And this he is not did going out of his way. Didn't he hit a kid? It was completely yeah. different, obviously, because it was like from the tennis point, like during the match, he accidentally, yeah. he mishit a ball and it hit somebody in the crowd and he gave him a racket. But you don't, every time you almost hit someone or hit someone on a yeah, tennis he, court, you just, you don't just give them a, your tennis racket and say, we're all cool now, right? It's not so how it works. Dumb. Also, like, the video, like, you can tell, like, posting those screenshots, that tweet, it's all to make him seem like the hero and the good guy in this situation. And then the film, the video that he filmed of himself giving the kid the racket, like, it was so obvious from that video that, like, he was sort of just, like, trying to, like, clutching his phone to himself and, like, just, like, pressing record and trying to keep it discreet. But, like, did the kids say he was okay with you filming him? Did all the ball kids sitting in that, like, rest area say it was okay? No. Like, he's just doing it to get... Yeah. attention and feel better about itself the worst part of all of this is first like tennis uh, people were so mad about this tennis journalists and the tennis media really just like didn't criticize him for this they either put in at the behavior of the crowd instead let the slide or like eh, whatever this is just nick being nick and i'm like no that's not how it works it's that's oh my god letting nick be nick is literally let boys be boys I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. uh, Not okay. Not okay. It's awful. But, like, in general, like you were probably about to say, the media has kind of made a pattern out of forgiving Nick or just forgetting things that he happens to have done or that he might have been, you know, allegated of. 
which is horrible. And what I'm about to say is that, um, uh, what's it called? Nick's ex-girlfriend actually, um, what's it called? Pressed domestic abuse allegations against him. Right? Not officially, though. No, not officially. I don't... I'm just trying like on, to come on, up with the wording. I can't come up with the wording for some reason. She she just shared a lot of stuff on her Instagram stories repeatedly throughout their relationship and after their relationship about Nick's, like, toxic behavior and, like, him cheating on her and, like, emotionally abusing her and things like that. Posting a lot of screenshots of their texts, posting a lot of her own testimonials. Then there was that whole thing where... In Sydney or somewhere else in Australia, right before the Australian Open, the police got involved because of some fight um, in a hotel room that they had. Oh, this was after Labor Cup, I think. When they were quarantining after Labor Cup, there was something that happened where uh, they were in a hotel room and then the police had to come because there were noise complaints because they were, you know, either fighting a lot or something. Um, We talked about that a long time ago in our Labor Cup episodes. But basically, it, it... Clearly, there's, like, some, a lot of toxicity was going on in that relationship. They were both very vocal on social media, but those were some serious allegations that Kiara Passari, her, uh, his ex-girlfriend, levied upon him, and no one wants to talk about that, and that, on top of this repeated attitude and behavior, is just really gross. Yeah, it's really, and if anything, it just proves hello, we should be looking at these allegations more seriously because this behavior, if this behavior is regular for him, then off court it might as well be the same, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, I feel like that's enough about him. I mean, it's just a disappointment because I think he's often branded as that guy who's like, um, is the, is the way to make tennis interesting for younger fans, the way to make him, like, seem cool and, like, to make the sport seem cool and draw attention and stuff. But, you know, that's just, um, it's unfortunate because his attitude is so just disgusting. Um, but moving on, switching gears a little bit, we have two sort of, like, connecting um, stories here. And one of them is a really interesting interaction that I actually had at Indian Wells um, watching Diana Yastremska's practice. Um, so a lot of players, even if they had lost in the early rounds, stayed over at Indian Wells for like about a week just to keep practicing there, getting uh, get a good training block in. And the Yastremska sisters were included in that. So I was just sitting by watching uh, Diana practice and then her sister came by a bit later. And a really interesting thing happened where um, there was this French family who had this organization to support Ukraine's efforts and like humanitarian efforts in Ukraine for this uh for the war and they gave her a t-shirt um that said in French glory to the resistance um, which is obviously like a that that saying has a lot of um you know dates back to world war what two? the french One? revolution no, no 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 there was no no, no. the french revolution and um the Nazi occupation. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I know what you're talking about. So, um, there, so, basically a t-shirt that said, Lord to the Resistance in blue and yellow colors, um, obviously to support Ukraine, and they gave it to Diana, and Diana was like, 
um, oh, what does it say? Like, what does it mean? And they explained it to her, and then she changed into the shirt during her practice and kept talking with that family. And there was a very, like, small crowd, like that family, me, my mom, maybe a couple other people, just sort of listening to what she had to say. And she was sort of talking about her experience, about when the bombing started and her and her sister having to escape. And then she was talking about how um, she's really unhappy that... Uh, tennis allowed Russian players to play because she's like, I know they you haven't done anything wrong, but from a political standpoint, political pressure wise, it doesn't do enough to just let them play under a neutral flag and, um, you know, without sort of affiliation um, with, with the country. So we kind of wanted to open up that conversation because obviously this is coming from someone who's perspective we really need to honor and appreciate but it's also so complicated because there's so many um moving parts to the whole political situation that you I like I speaking personally totally understand where she's coming from I still kind of stand by the stance that we kind of took like in our last episode about this whole thing um or maybe it was a couple episodes and we talked about how I personally feel like that especially in an individual sport this is a fair compromise just because you can't really penalize yeah. the athletes for that. Yeah. But at the same time, I get where she's coming from because she's also like, they haven't done anything wrong. But from a political standpoint, it doesn't put enough pressure to yeah. still allow that. That makes sense. Um, and yeah, like you were saying, we have kind of two things that tie together here. And the other one being that um, the UK is actually considering banning Russian players from Wimbledon. So this goes hand-in-hand with what uh, Yastrzemska was discussing at the uh, inside scoop that Shravya got from Indian Wells. (laughs) Yeah. And um, so a quote from the British sports minister, Nigel Huddleston, and it was about All England Club and Wimbledon. Is All England Club, is that soccer? Is that football? The All England Club is like not really the USTA. Oh, okay. The but like like the governing the grounds, body behind yeah, Wimbledon. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, so yeah, he said, grounds. absolutely nobody flying the flag for Russia should be allowed. Many of us would be willing and able to allow them to compete as non-aligned, non-flag-bearing entities. But I think it needs to go beyond that. We need some potential assurances that they are not supporters of Vladimir Putin, and we are considering what requirements we may need to try and get some assurances along those lines. So essentially, they are seeking assurance from Russian players that they do not support Putin, and otherwise, they might not be able to play. But essentially the issue here is again it's such a slippery slope like what is assurance and if it's Mm. private it's just it really there's a lot maybe puts them at risk like in an autocratic country like it's gonna put could put their families at risk yeah there definitely has to be more detail than this if they do go through with this plan because honestly in situations like these you can't just go in halfway. It has to be either one or the other. You have to either allow the non-aligned, the non-flag-bearing entities, or not allow anyone at all that originally played for that country. Yeah, it's definitely a choice. I can't say I totally agree with it. I hope they don't go through with it because it seems a little bit of a double standard um, towards Russian players um, in this situation, but, like... Uh, it, 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 I think the main part of it is just asking for those assurances because, as you said, is it private? Is it public? Like, but 
if it's private and then they're allowed to play, then that's just, that's kind of solidifying the fact that they did express those assurances. So then could that put them at risk? Could that put their family? Like, I don't know. But this was a very weird sort of policy. Um, And I mean, I think we're only going to continue seeing more debates about how athletes are going to be involved in this whole um, political scheme. Yeah. So now we are going to talk some tennis as we usually do since this happens to be a tennis podcast. And (laughs) we're talking about Indian Wells, like I said before, in this episode. And essentially we're in the later stages of the tournament. So we'll just be doing some, you know, semifinal recaps or no, no more previews. Actually, yeah, one preview because we do have one match left and it should be very exciting as well as some WTA finals preview, because it's going to be interesting, an interesting Sunday. Yeah, so we're recording this on um, Sunday. Saturday, no. hello. Saturday, sorry. <laughs> I I do not have my days set straight. Today's Saturday. It's and Taylor, yeah, it's because I'm on spring break. Uh, Taylor Fritz just be under Rublev seven five six four, and we're super excited about that. But we're kind of just mentioning this now to give you a sense of where we're at, kind of as we're talking, and we're gonna talk about Taylor um, and Andre in just a bit. But let's start with WTA semifinals recap. We had this girl is on fire. We have been fans of her for a while, ever since kind of her French Open breakthrough. We called her win. We did. Or, well, we called we her. Did. We, we, we said did. look out for her, like, essentially. <laughs> we said look out for her in 2020 at the French Open. Um, but Iga Swiatek, the third seed, just defeated Simona Halep, the 24th seed, 7-6-6-4. And sure, it was a straight set match, but it definitely wasn't as simple as that. Yeah, it was... Essentially, a battle between generations, something we'll see on the ATP side as well. And Shuatek's, you know, firepower played off because she is such a powerful hitter from the baseline, and I think that goes under the radar so much. Mm-hmm. And she came back from a breakdown in both sets and even faced a set point in the first set. But just, she is so young, and she plays like she's been on tour for decades it's this is crazy i i just this she does not cease to surprise me and impress me yeah i love her so i love this new i love this new era of ball bashers coming on the wta like i love when these girls like hit the ball super hard like i that's personally the kind of tennis that i like watching you know moving people around the court like um not being afraid to mix it up but also just like like it reminds me of soccer too Yes, exactly. But we have a lot of that. Um, and even, like, the players who are, like, counterpunchers, like Simona Halep, like, definitely um, just a good variety of tennis, but strong tennis coming from the WTA side currently. I'm loving Halep's resurgence, which we're also going to mm-hmm. talk about in just a bit. But this was a really impressive performance from her as well. Now, you were saying how Shuatek really holds her ground on the baseline. And I remember there was a stat maybe around U.S. Open time, a little bit afterwards, about how... Iga Swiatek's forehand is faster than, like, the ball RPMs mm-hmm. are higher, and, like, she hits it faster than many ATP players, than, like, most ATP players. Like, that's should. how, 
exactly as she should um but this is only her second indian wells tournament obviously the last one was just like six months ago but she's currently on a 10 match winning streak and that match winning streak is dating back to um the doha masters 1000 wta event just a couple weeks ago where she won so now she has made back-to-back 1,000-level finals. Um, she's really living up to her name, a player that, again, didn't receive much hype in her early years or in her junior career until she made that French Open result and has certainly lived up to that. Yeah, definitely. And she has been going through this um, tournament with basically an amazing record. She has taken out Clara Towson, Angelique Kerber, that was a tough match. And uh, Madison Keys, 6-1-6-0. And now Simona 56 Hallow. minutes. That's, I just, wow. She's blowing everyone out of the water. And then now, of course, we have Simona Halep in the semifinal. And she, like you said, Halep is on the resurgence. And she's definitely a player that we should look out for in upcoming tournaments. But obviously, Iga was just able to outplay her in this match and it says a lot about how Ika is able to take out these veteran players like Kerber and Halep she commented on both of them especially Kerber talking about how intelligent of a player she is because she has all that experience and I mean you know Angie Kerber has been someone who's been a force to be reckoned with on the tour for a while and I think it says a lot about Ika's sort of um how they how they say it, uh, tennis IQ, um, to be able to take out these veteran players because she's so new and relatively inexperienced. I mean, this is her second Indian Wells tournament ever. Um, but, you know, that wisdom that she has, really, I think, in my opinion, is grounded in her attitude. I mean, we see her, you know, off the court. She's such a lovely personality. She seems very laid back. Um, she has a sports psychologist. Like, she's making those smart decisions, but also in terms of her attitude. So she said after her quarterfinal win, quote, I'm also trying to get some fun as well from matches which are tight. Before, where I felt stressed, I couldn't really make that fun. But right now, I'm more focused on finding solutions, and I want every match to be a lesson for me. I think Ash Barty has this kind of mindset. When she feels like the match is really tight, she treats it like a great experience because she can find solutions, actually be focused on them. I just, wow. She's, like, I'm just going to keep saying it. She's only 20 years old. Like, this is crazy. And honestly, this this reminds me of when, because remember when she won the French Open in 2020, she did not lose a set the entire Um, tournament she had basically a perfect record and then later in tournaments she was starting to lose sets in matches and she was she talked about how she just didn't know what to do I didn't know how to not play a perfect match and still win and then she learned how to do this and now we're seeing kind of that maturity being showcased on court and in big tournaments such as this and hopefully it, it comes back to the grand slam level again yeah, underline that word maturity because not only does she have that maturity on the court in her game and how she plays, but also just like, again, the way that she composes herself. She's open about her emotions. She's not afraid of like, you know, 
we've like she's talked about crying she's talked about um pmsing she's talked about um her love for reading she's she's so open and so smart she just has her head screwed on straight and like that's such a relief sometimes in sports when we're watching tennis to have players like that um but certainly we see more of that on the wta side than the atp but i think she's someone that you just have to appreciate um but we're certainly part of the egonators as they call them on twitter um but we're very excited to see her continue to thrive but on the flip side of this generational battle we had simona halep who was i mean this was a great tournament for her especially since she's just coming back from a rough year last year yeah so definitely a shout out to her because she's having a resurgence like we were saying before she's finding that form again and Again, regardless of the score, she played so well in this match. It was a very close match. It's just Iga happened to come out on top. It's just it's just what happens. But that doesn't mean we should overlook, you know, Simona's success in the tournament and even in that match. And also, she, as in Simona, is very close to overtaking Maria Sharapova for the third spot in total career prize money among WTA players. And, of course, Serena and Venus lead the list. But, again, like, reaching very... She's been on tour for so long, and she's kind of, you know, getting... What's it called? Breaking those boundaries, you know? Yeah, she's been one of the most consistent players for the past 10 years, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, And even Iga said that her match versus Halep was her toughest match yet. So, um, there's definitely just a lot of great things. I about that matchup about both those players but really excited to see Iga thriving um and our second semifinal was Maria Sakari the sixth seed defeating defending champion and fifth seed Paula Badosa in another battle 6-2-4-6-6-1 and honestly this was definitely a match where we would have been happy with either player winning but um, Maria did come out on top here, and I mean, Pola was the defending champion, so this is definitely a big win considering the demographics of the entire tournament. So, Maria Sakari, along with uh, um, Dennis Shapovalov, <laughs> they unfortunately face a curse, and that curse is the semifinals and losing in them, but not this time, which is great because I feel like I've seen. Sakuri make it to later stages of the tournament, but never be able to kind of scrape her way to the absolute top, you know? Yeah, mm-hmm. just kind of get over that wave. And I think after she's had some practice doing that for a couple of times, she's definitely somebody we can see. Like, even this year, I see her contending for Grand Slams, honestly, with the level she's She should have won at. the U.S. Open. Oh, my gosh, she should have won the U.S. Open. Yeah, and she knows that she had a big shot at Roland Garros as well, losing to Krejcikova um, or Zidansek. I don't remember who she lost to. Forgot about <laughs> Zidansek. <laughs> but she's had those chances. You're right, and she just hasn't been able to get that final jump. But she's always had the belief, which is what she kept yes. saying. Yes, yes, she has, and she has been performing at the top level these past few months. Even before Indian Wells, she had made seven semifinals in her last ten tournaments, but unfortunately only won two of those. And she had been, before this match, 0-4 to four in um, WTA 1000 semifinals, and now she's on to her first WTA 1000 final, which is phenomenal because 
you can see by her Instagram, even by her attitude, she works so hard. She is, she's phenomenal. And, you know, even on the, not even on court only, on the fitness side as well. She's always working on herself, trying to be better. And is so inspiring, honestly. Yeah, and she's also such a lovely personality Mm -hmm. as well. Like, there was a little funny moment while um, she was kind of in the green area where players go after their practices to play soccer or just hang out or whatever, when fans were taking pictures of her and getting her autograph. I was, she was there, and I was like, Maria, I have a question for you. And she was like, okay. And I was like, how do you, like, after all these matches and all these practices, keep your hair so perfect, like, in your bun? Like, can you tell us your secret? Or, like, can you tell us how you do it? And Maria started laughing. She was like, oh, no, that's a secret now. And, I mean, she's just such a nice person to have in the sport and I think has certainly cemented herself at the top of the, like, she, like, she deserves to be in that top ten. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And uh, she had a quote from when? After her match? Was it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. She said... After her win. Yeah. I'll be deadly honest that I never, ever thought about it. I have a lot of people around me telling me about the semifinals and that I was not able to get over this hurdle. But I never, ever thought about it because I was always very confident and had a lot of belief that I would just get over it soon, and it clicked, I guess. And, I mean, that's literally word for word what we were just talking about. And um, considering her recent not recent, but in that tournament, she also took out, besides Bedosa, Petra Kvitova and Rybakina, who also had a great tournament, en route to the final now, which is huge. Definitely huge. And a few words about Paula Bedosa. I mean, I'm definitely really sad to see her go. Um, We both really like her. But if anything, like, this was a very strong tournament from her. She had great wins versus Cerebus Tormo, which is the match that I was able to watch, and it was amazing. Like, the first set lasted an hour and 20 minutes. So, I mean, she's she really works hard out there. She also beat Leila Fernandez, Veronica Kudermatova, put up a fight versus Sakari. So, if anything, she came to this tournament and showed that she was also here to stay in the top 10. One of the, she had a kind of started the year off with a bang with that title in Sydney, then had maybe a lackluster performance in Australia and in the few tournaments afterwards. But, so, you know, being totally honest, like, I wasn't convinced at all that she was going to, come even close to making a deep run at Indian Wells this year to defend her title. Mm-hmm. But she really did make a great, great strong run. So good positives for her. And, I mean, you know, we want to note something before we sort of round out this WTA section before, like, with the final um, preview. There was a lot of discourse lately, and we've mentioned this here and there, about how the WTA is in its quote-unquote weak era or that, like, the quarterfinals didn't deliver because the scores were so, um, like, blah. But just what? take a look at the people who are in what? the semis and who are in this in this tournament in the late stages. No, because I remember during, especially, like, the middle of the kind of COVID era of tennis, like, 2020, yeah, both sides, ATP and WTA, were a little weak. It was definitely a different kind of group of players that were coming forth because it's of such a different environment but now we've kind of I I don't want to say returned to pre-COVID era tennis because it is a new generation of players we have here and they are 
phenomenal. We have players that are making consistent, you know, um, deep runs. We have, like, Maria Sakri, Paula Bedosa, Iga Sviantek, and even Leila Fernandez. I mean... Even Barbara Krejcikova, even though she wasn't here. No, we don't count her. (laughs) No, never. Uh, (laughs) Never. (laughs) But, yeah, we have players that are consistently doing so well and they're um we're starting to see that show up kind of in the rankings because before the ranking system was kind of all over the place that's why it looks so odd but now it's kind of evening out and their hard work is finally showing up in numbers and that's why we're seeing kind of we're kind of really appreciating how strong wta tennis is now and whoever says that it isn't is just wrong and doesn't know anything about tennis (laughs) that's it yeah for the second masters 1000 wta tournament in a row three out of the four semifinalists are top 10 players and in this case the other one was simona halep who is a multiple time grand slam champion and in doha it was yelena ostapenko so i mean this is what we need in tennis you want top players to be consistent you want them to be performing well at these events do I wish that Ash Barty were playing here? Yes, she's the world number one in the world, the best player on tour at the moment. She should be here. But aside from that, like the women who showed up at this tournament are the ones who have been showing up consistently. Mm-hmm. So, like, no one's saying anything about Kekmanovic oh being God. a random Ew. person here. Ew. But like, you know what? You know what I mean? Like, no one's talking. Yeah, no exactly. One's saying that. Like, you can't have double standards if you're going to make a statement like that. You have to talk about both sides. Exactly. So, sexist will stay sexist. There's not much we can do about that except have these conversations. But before we move on to the ATP, Josephina, give us the the last few tidbits about this upcoming final. Um, oh, sorry. I just completely lost my train of thought, but it's fine. (laughs) It's fine, guys. I'm back. Don't worry. Um, so, essentially, if you haven't gotten the gist of it, the final will be Iga Swiatek versus Maria Sakkari, and they're fighting for the world number two ranking, which is crazy. I mean, this... Barbie K is gonna lose that oh spot God. by the end Thank of this tournament. God. Finally. <laughs> just... <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I try to... You have personal beef with I her. try to be neutral on players, but no. not in this case but i think it's really interesting that this final has stakes besides the trophy that that's crazy and this is maria's first wta 1000 final and she broke down in tears during her encore interview saying i worked my entire life to get to this to the late stages of the tournament it means a lot to me and of course this quote is kind of ordinary considering what players have said before but it was just the emotions (laughs) the emotions yeah. yeah Um, and she made the St. Petersburg final earlier this year, which was a WTA 500, so we're hoping that she can actually get over that hurdle this time. Actually, are we hoping? No, because Iga already has one WTA 1000 title under her belt from earlier this year, like Shravi was saying, that was Doha, where she defeated Annette Contivate 6-2-6-0 in the final, and Maria Sakkari 6-4-6-3 in the semifinals. And Iga is known to step it up in finals. She, like, you'd think she's playing well throughout the tournament, but then she brings out this incredible new level to the finals that it just shows how hungry she is to win and how 
she is ready to play, just no matter what. But um, I think Maria has a lot of heart going into this match. Will that be enough? I don't know. Um, but honestly, if you're asking for a prediction, I think it's going to be Iga. But then I think in this situation, Maria would be the upset, honestly. Yeah. For me personally, it's a win-win situation. Maybe I'm slightly favoring Iga because we really like her and love her a lot. But at the same time, I really want Maria... I but at yes, but at the same time I really want Maria to have her like moment mm-hmm. and like kind of finally grab a trophy. Um so very very solid uh WTA tournament on on in Indian Wells this year. I was couldn't be happier. Um but let's move on to the ATP. Um and we're going to talk about the semifinals and the semifinalists. Um and how we sort of are in the middle stage of it. Like, we have one complete, we have one ongoing. Yeah. Um, but it's awkward. Let, let's get into it. So, we have Carlos Alcaraz, the 19th seed, versus Rafael Nadal, the 4th seed. So, this is definitely the match everyone has been waiting for since... Since, Since Carlos came out of the womb. <laughs> That's basically, like, people have been waiting for it for that Honestly, long. I think it's since he defeated Stefanos at last year's US Open. To be honest. Yes. Because that's when people... That was electric. Yeah, that was crazy. I think that's when people started comparing Alcaraz to Nadal, and I was like, oh my god. Like, you know the new I... the new movie with Ryan Reynolds that came out, The Adam Project, where essentially he meets himself as a child? I think this is what people no. think. <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah. I, I would much prefer the comparisons between Carlos Alcaraz and... Who's the guy? I'm blanking. Who's the guy from Twilight, the oh, werewolf? Oh, um, um, Jason? Bella, where have you been, no. Loka? Wait, what's his yeah. name? What's his name? <laughs> what's his name? Is it, is it Jack? It's, it's Taylor Lautner, yeah, but I don't know what, like, the, J- J- Jason? J- Jack? No, it's not Jason. Is it Jason? No, it's not Jason. I feel like I'd remember. Let's do a quick little internet yes. search here. But in the meantime, <laughs> uh, Rafael Nadal and Carlos... It's Jacob! J- Jacob! How did we miss that? But yeah, Jacob Black. They... I see it. I see it. Because I remember you were saying that people had been comparing... Was it Rublev? To the other guy? Rublev to Edward Cullen. Yeah. yeah. And so now we need this new kind of era of Twilight players. <laughs> okay. So, Alcaraz and Nadal met once before in Madrid in 2021, where Rafa won 6-1, 6-2. But um, Alcaraz did speak on that. He said that he was extremely nervous at the time. But as of now, he's trained with Rafa before. He has more experience under his belt, he feels. So, I think he'll definitely be more prepared going into this tournament. And Carlos has not dropped a set throughout the entire tournament. In the round of 16, he defeated Gael Monfils, 7-5-6-1, after um, Gael, after, after, after what happened? I don't know. <laughs> um, in the quarter, in the quarter, I think you meant after Gael beat Daniil, right? Yeah, that's definitely what I meant. Yeah, because yeah, I put Zverev down, okay. because I think I was thinking about Shapovalov. In the Australian Open, because that was a big upset. Your mind is with the Canadians right now. 
<laughs> okay. Anyways, in the quarterfinal, uh, Carlos defeated Cam Nori six four six three, and just you know, special notable mention, Cam defeated Jensen Brooksby in the round of sixteen. Heartbreak, heartbreak. But Jensen Brooksby defeated Stefano Tsitsipas. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's big. That's big. This kid is not here to play. So, I mean, if well, Carlos... he's here to play, he is. but he's not here to play. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Good. I yeah. liked it. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> this will be a first ATP 1000 semifinal for Carlos Alcaraz. And can I just say, he is 12-1 to 1 in the record all year, in his record. Yeah, he had a Rio title earlier this year, and... Yeah, this man is on fire. Boy, this is a boy. <laughs> wow. Um, yes, underline that because some people yep. seem to yep. be forgetting that. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, we talked about a boy. Let's talk about a grandpa now. We have Rafael Nadal, our, one of our um, favorite people on this earth. Currently in his 19-0 um, start to his year um, he said about Carlos, to have such a star from my country is amazing. It is fantastic for the tennis lovers, and he's a countryman, and he's a great guy. I like him. I wish him all the very best. Probably not on Saturday when he plays against me, but in general. That was adorable. He also said something along the lines of, he has all the right ingredients. Yeah, and I was like, that is the most, a like, salad. <laughs> he's like a salad. He has all the right he's ingredients. He's like... <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, I mean, Nadal has been facing some tough opponents, um, defeating Riley Opelka in two tie breaks in the round of 16, and then obviously defeating Nick in the quarterfinals in those three sets. Um, but honestly, I think, Ra- I mean, Rafa has really, like, big favorite to win the title. Everyone's expecting it. Um, it's very probable, and likely but carlos scares me i feel like he's such a wild card yeah i've really liked seeing carlos have this rise and this resurgence i do hope for his own sake that like this isn't a repeat of the madrid um, meeting or like well i mean i would like to see it be a nice a nice contest obviously i would like for um nadal to eventually come out on top but i think that this in order for it to be a good learning experience for for Alcaraz, I think he'll probably um, shed some of those nerves from maybe that he had in Madrid. Um, but two lovely people, well, yes, two lovely people, two opposite generations, stop calling Alcaraz an ex-Nadal because they play totally differently. Yeah, um, definitely. Um, I think... But, I like this matchup. I like these two guys. This is These are two people who I'm happy to see in the semifinals. I do. I think it's wholesome. And honestly, I do think that whoever wins this match will get the title. Not to call Taylor mm. out, but just the level that they're both playing is on another planet. I just genuinely believe that. Um, so, yeah, speaking of Taylor, Taylor DeFritz... The 20th seed defeated Andre Rublev, the 7th seed, 7-5-6-4, about 20 minutes ago. And honestly, both of the semifinals that they played, I'm happy with how they turned out. I'm happy that they got to play that semifinal because they're both very wholesome people. 
and five months ago, Taylor was actually in the Indian Wells semifinals, and this was Taylor's third consecutive run to the quarterfinals, or in this case, past the quarterfinals, in 1,000 tournaments. So he's consistently doing very well. And he defeated Alex Deminor in the round of 16, 3-6, At least Demon made it that far because he was kind of flopping before that. And Taylor also defeated upset train Mirmir Mirmir Kichmanovich in the quarterfinals, seven six three six six one, and Mirmir just to give him a little shout out because I guess he deserves it. Uh, he upset Marin Cilic, Botic, BDB BDZ. What's what's BDZ? <laughs> and then also, what is it Botic or Botic? I think it's Botic. Okay, so Botic actually also upset Felix Auger Eliasim in the ninth, in the ninth seed, who's in the ninth <laughs> seed, and okay, also Mirmir upset Mateo. Verde- <laughs> I'm not doing well. Mirmir upset Mateo Verdini the sixth seed as well. So that he was just destroying everybody until he got to Taylor. Thank goodness Taylor cleared. That upset train, it was getting a little personal for yeah. us, defeating Berrettini and Botic. Like, that was a little... Yeah. That hurt. Um, but, although Andre Rublev has been having an amazing year, he's going so under the radar. Two titles already, the 250 and the 500. And this quarterfinal was his 13th straight win. Um, so, he's doing pretty well. Had a great win versus uh, Dimitrov and Hercotch. Um, well, her cut in the round of 16, and Dimitrov in the quarterfinals. Um, and Grigor actually had made the Indian Wells semis last year, so um, nice to see another strong result from him this time around, because he's also a wholesome a wholesome member of the ATP. Yes. We have wholesome people in this draw Yeah, I like right it. Now. I like it. I, I, I like it, I like it. Um, different levels of wholesome and different types of wholesome, but we have wholesome all around. Um, I mean, going into this final, we obviously still have to see the result of Alcaraz and Nadal to see what comes out of that. To be honest, of course, Rafa is the man to beat here. I don't see anyone else really posing a threat. Um, we're going to see, you know, how he does in this one, but he's been tested in his matches all the way from Korda to Opelka to Kyrgios. I mean, he is going strong, even though he's a grandpa. Um, so I'm expecting him to come out with the win. But, again, I mean, Taylor is doing really well. Alcaraz obviously has a firepower, so they're going to be challenging matches for him. But I think this is Rafa time. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for joining us, and that is game, set, and match for today. If you like this episode, please let us know and stay tuned for more. We'll be providing you all the coverage of the season and, of course, all the tea on tour. Email us at holdontoyourracket at gmail.com for any questions and leave a rating on whatever platform you're listening on. Hold On To Your Racket is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on social media at Hold On To Your Racket on Instagram and at H-O-T-Y-R underscore Tennis Pod on Twitter. Our next episode will be released as Indian Wells comes to a conclusion and the Miami Open begins. And remember, my name is Josefina. And my name is Shravya. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to hold on to your racket until next time.